Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Ray Kearns is the Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs for Bayer U.S. Ray's current position is the latest in a series of senior communications jobs in the pharmaceutical and life science industry. Before joining Bayer in 2013, Ray was with Pfizer, serving as Chief Global Spokesperson and overseeing global internal and external communications as Vice President of External Affairs and Worldwide Communications. Prior to that... Ray was chief global spokesperson for Merck & Co. Ray has very extensive experience on the agency side as well, including nine years at GCI Group and five years at Porter Novelli. Industry awards include PR Week's Outstanding In-House Professional Award and a 2009 40 Under 40 recognition, also from PR Week. Ray has a bachelor's and master's degree from Iona College and is a graduate of Harvard Business School's Bayer Executive Leadership Program. Without further ado, here is Ray Kearns, Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs at Bayer, in conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO, Paul Dyer. Hello, welcome back. This is Paul Dyer with Lippy Taylor. I am joined here today by Ray Kearns, who is Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs for Bayer U.S., where he manages all communications, government relations, and policy for Bayer Corporation. Ray also oversees the Bayer U.S. Foundation, serves as vice chair of Bayer's political committee, and is on the Bayer U.S. Country Council. Ray, thank you so much for joining us here today. Paul, it's an absolute pleasure. Great to speak to you again. Um, so, Ray, I thought we would jump right into to kind of the current state of the world um, as it relates to you know, the communications industry. So if you think about over the past year, life sciences organizations, including Bayer, have been looked at for leadership in the economy and in the country and in the world, perhaps more than any other time in history. So I wondered if you could maybe just enlighten us a little bit, share a little bit of what it's like um, you know, what the special sort of challenges and opportunities have been being a recognized global health leader during this most challenging health crisis. This, this particular pandemic has been one, it's, you know, they, they, they call it a 100-year pandemic. We haven't seen like it in our lifetime and hopefully never will. But it's a reason that I've actually stayed in healthcare all of my career, most of my career, we'll say. Um, you know, having worked for previous from Bayer working for Pfizer for a whole bunch of years and stuff. But I remember there was a moment in time when I was down at the Center for Disease Control and I was leaving Pfizer time and thinking to myself, Where, where's my career going to go next? And being very open about it to myself and having a lot of conversations with a lot of different organizations. And yet, but I've been sitting on this global health threats roundtable for the CDC for the last 14 years of my career. And I'm sitting in a room with the leading epidemiologists of of the United States government, and we're talking about the eradication of polio. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, Paul, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Like, this is an incredible opportunity for me in my own career to, to think about, I can actually have a voice in how do we eradicate one of the most horrifying dreadful diseases of the world. And it was a moment of reflection at a time when I was talking to a number of different industries, and I decided at that moment, I wanna stay in healthcare. And so now fast forward to where we are today, and there's no greater time for us or important time for us and the work that we do as an industry. And while it's always been a challenge from time to time about respect and, and, and reputation, et cetera, when push comes to shove and you're staring down the face of a global pandemic where people all around the globe are, are unfortunately dying, 
you realize the important role that science plays in all our daily lives. And so, yeah, this has been, the industry has rallied in a way that I've never seen in my, in my career. And it gives you a great sense of pride to be associated uh, with such organizations such as Bayer and the, and the corporations who are out there trying to directly impact this horrifying virus. So Ray, you're, you're also a volunteer firefighter, right? Well, at my age now, I'm over slightly time. retired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> over time, you have uh, been a volunteer firefighter. Um, so, you know, so the, the, the kind of person who is willing to run into a building that's on fire, um, you know, both literally and metaphorically. And in, in a metaphorical sense, you've mentioned Pfizer, but you also worked at Merck during the Vioxx recall, you know, potentially one of the the most calamitous crises in the history of the health industry, the modern pharmaceutical industry. So what I'm wondering is, is there, from, from your experience in crisis and all of your deep experience in crisis, is there such a thing as a playbook for this? Or is it more, you know, prepare as best you can and, and make the most of what's available to you in the moment? There are fundamentals, I think, in general, when it comes to whether you're in healthcare or whether you're in automotive or any industry in, in the world. The fundamentals that give you an ability to make sure that the reputation that you had prior to your, um, your issue uh, is intact when all is said and done. And I'll just give you a couple of the top ones. And I don't think there's any deviation regardless of what issue you're dealing with. Number one is be honest and be truthful. Um, the transparency of, of organizations that when you identify a problem, and think about the back the days when we were in kindergarten. I mean, if there were laws that we learned back then of, you know, tell the truth when you know, know what you know, be honest, be forthright. Um, and I just think this is a moment of, of time and reflection when you look at any crisis and you look about, frankly, look about what the World Trade Center and why we fell in love with, you know, the nation's mayor um, way back then. Even if he didn't know what he didn't know, he still stood up and said to you, look, here's what I know, here's what I don't know. So I think in this particular arena, it's the ability for you to engage and educate, which has been a core strategy for me and my team for, for many a year. And um, I would rather sit down with you and have a cup of coffee. Now, now it's hard to do that, but the, but the, the analogy of it still holds true. I'd rather sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. If we have differences of opinions, we, we're never going to agree to everything. But I want you to understand that, that there are people who are actually living and breathing and caring about how to ensure you fix a problem. Reputation, one of the great forms of having such a strong reputation and doing what's right, even when people aren't looking, is because when times of challenge come, people will give you the benefit of the doubt. But you have to take that seriously. And the opportunity for you to step forward and actually bring solutions to the table, as opposed to simply just trying to you know, paper over a particular issue. I always put people first. And people first meaning, you know, think about it from your area. I, I'm, I'm a, fa a father of three children. I've got a father who is retired uh, U.S. Army uh, and NYPD. I think about the impact on his life when we're dealing with certain things. Um, don't be that nameless, faceless organization, corporation, whatever it is. Put people first. I don't like to send out um, just simple statements. Sometimes you have to if there's real serious legal issues, but why don't you put people forward? Put the researcher or, or the medical professional or the executive, put them up forward and have, have Q and A's and discussions. Then that can be at any level. So there, again, there are fundamentals here of how to ensure when, when times of crisis roll around. 
Here's one that we're dealing with right now from, again, from a global pandemic standpoint, how do you impact? Be ready to support. Um, we early on donated, we were one of the first companies to donate to the national stockpile. There was a medicine that was requested by the United States government. We figured out how to get it and we got it, we put it forward. Well, the president, the vice president and the secretary of, of, of HHS, all three of them multiple times were talking about where company bear was. We didn't ask for that. In fact, if anything, we, we, you know, we wanted to make sure that uh, we we're doing our part to impact the pandemic because this is way before any vaccine was even approved. And so I just think there are, there are opportunities. And I joke a lot about that kindergarten example you know, be a good corporate citizen. You'll learn to back when you're in kindergarten. And some of those fundamentals sometimes, unfortunately, when we have supercharged environments, they're hard to remember. But let's all work together to find a solution as opposed to figuring out what this person did wrong or that person did wrong. There's no time for that anymore. People are dying and we have to find those solutions. And I'm so proud of, again, the industries that have come together right now to figure out how to help save lives. There's a lot in there, Ray, and you know, yes, there were some things that you said that I, that really just jumped out to me. I mean, things like you know, put people first, engage and ex- and educate, um, and then you said you know, building reputation means that when something does go wrong, people will give you the benefit of the doubt, and you know that makes so much sense when you think about it from a kindergartner's perspective. As a company, I mean, Bayer is a is a very diverse, complicated company. You're headquartered in Germany, massive U.S. presence. You know, people typically associate you with pharmaceuticals, but you also have consumer products. You also have a, consu- a crop science division that encompasses the formerly notorious Monsanto. Um, a lot of moving parts there. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you think about defining corporate reputation, you know, independent of the pandemic, all the different things you want people to think about your company or your reputation, um, how do you define that? And has it changed in recent years, in particular with all the new technology and new tools and platforms? We, we have a position that we, we lean towards on any given day of the week and whatever, how we operate, whether it be big significant decisions or the way we engage from a community standpoint on, on a local level. And the saying is, has been with us for many, many years, it's science for a better life. Um, science can save solve so many problems that we have in this world. And we're seeing it firsthand right now. Science is behind what we do and how we operate, whether in agriculture or consumer health or pharmaceuticals. It's taking that science and seeing if we can help people live a better, happier, healthier life. And so whether we're engaging school children in our Making Science Make Sense program, where we go into schools, and I'm talking bare employees, and do hands-on science training. Right now we're doing things more virtual, of course, but for more than 25 years, we've had this program up and running or whether it's finding some new advancement in oncology or whether it's working on on the consumer side. Second part of your question, which I wanna respond to is, it's interesting, you know, Bayer invented aspirin over a hundred years ago. And it, it it is in essence our calling card. You say bear, I say aspirin. It's one of the first things people think of, whether it be aided or unaided awareness to it. It's quite interesting. So we are looking more as a healthcare company, but we are now the largest agricultural company in the world as well. And when we when we took on Monsanto, which by the way, take a deeper look at the organization, it is truly a biotech company. Like people can have their opinions about their their previous engagements. They're a biotech company. And so when we looked at their science and we thought to ourselves, 
this is quite interesting and fits well in our portfolio. Now our challenge is to ensure that that science continues to advance and then we're supporting the agriculture industry. Final comment I'll say to you on this one is, when you look at the global pandemic, what are the two things you need the most right now? What are the things that you're looking for? Health and food. And Bayer is well positioned in both those areas now and has been for many a year to help support, again, around, around the globe, but also in our backyard. And so that comes in multiple forms. It comes in how we engage and how we work with regulators and how we work with uh, administrations and governments around the world. But it's also how we work directly with our local communities. And, when we, and we do a lot of support for food banks because food insecurity is a huge, huge challenge. Working through direct relief and making sure people get their medicines that, that are needed in, in parts of the globe that, you know, frankly, we may not have operations. There's a lot of opportunity still. But when I think about science and the idea concept of science for a better life, it is our driving force in how we operate as an organization. It's also a, a masterclass in simplifying the message. Now, one of the things that you, you brought up in there was about um, going into high schools. So you, you've been really outspoken about the need to get more students into STEM programs in America. And several years ago, you made a bold pledge. You were going to reach 1 million students with hands-on STEM programs. You reached that goal a year ahead of schedule and then upped your target to 5 million students. So can you talk about two things? First of all, how are you doing um, when it comes to achieving the goal? And second, how does working with high school students build Bayer's corporation, if you think about it, I mean, these, these kids are a long ways away from being shareholders or, you know, even, you know, voters in some cases. So, you know, how, how does it build Bayer's corporation, uh, Bayer Corporation's uh, reputation? Well, frankly, um, Paul, it's more about building the pipeline, okay? We need more STEM graduates, science, technology, engineering, math. We need more engineers. We need more mathematicians. And interestingly, we do a survey every couple of years of students and schools. And what we found is, frankly, kids lose interest in science in middle school, primarily girls, young women, and even more so um, people of color. And so the challenge there becomes, if we can engage them at this level, middle school, high school level, and put that spark of science back into their lives, because there's a lot of other competing things going on. I'm the, I'm the father of three teenagers as we speak. And I can tell you, I can see it firsthand. I have, I have two little girls, 13 and 15, and I can see where their interest lies. And there are a lot of competing things right now for that. But now think about 20 years from now when, when frankly, that next significant challenge is going to come away as a society. Do we have enough scientists and do we have enough even diversity in the, in the arena of, of science to ensure that we're taking on those biggest challenges. So we do it because it's the right thing to do. And by the way, we actually enjoy doing it too. Like it's, don't get me wrong. It's the, the idea of leaving work for a couple of days and going and teaching classes in schools, it's kind of, it's, it's fun, exciting, but we also know we're solving this, this greater challenge we have for later on in life. So that one particular program has been a, a real cornerstone for us because we know we're solving a larger long-term problem but we're going to the root of where it starts, which is in middle school. I mean, who, who would have thought? Yeah, we do stuff on the collegiate level too and some stuff even in the earlier ages, but we know there's the sweet spot. And so utilizing science and data to identify the problem from a long-term benefit is kind of where we are. 
and why we do the way we do it. And ultimately, if it has that knock-on positive reputational impact on us going forward, we'll, we'll take it. But we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. So Ray, you're you're really involved personally with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and um, you were actually elected chairman of the Global Innovation Policy Center for the Chamber of Commerce, and you're working directly with a lot of current and former CEOs there, and obviously have worked directly with a lot of CEOs in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, one of the themes we've heard in the last year is that CEOs have been looking to the communications function for a new level of involvement, a new level of leadership, um, as their workforces have been distributed, as their stakeholders have had different expectations in the wake of social justice and calls for reform and all of these, these interlocking and inter interrelated topics. So I'm curious from your perspective, working with so many CEOs, what has changed in the past year in how they view the communications function and the role they they need you to play as the head of the communications function? Well, th there's sort of two parts to your question. I want, and I want to address the first one because I think it's an important piece. I got involved in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, seven, eight years ago. And at the time, it was primarily because one of my boss, my previous bosses said to me in a review, which was a good review that year, thankfully, but he said, he says, you know, you run government relations, you run communications, but I really think you need to own a particular policy issue. I think that'd be good for your career. And I remember thinking to myself, but yeah, but I've run it all. But again, I've had this, this saying that I've said for years, I tell my team, people who love you, who really care about you, I'm not saying my boss loved me, but who care about you will tell you the truth. Your job is to listen, right? So in these annual reviews, when they come up or these quarterly check-ins, really do take a listen and don't get your back up too heavy on it. So I decided to get involved in a particular issue, which I find interesting, which is intellectual property. And IP is an issue where, whether it be governments or organizations can steal your ideas. And I just think that is completely wrong. You come up with an idea, you should be able to own it, whether it's tech, pharma, entertainment, whatever. So I've, I've joined the uh, Global Innovation Policy Center as a, as a board member and became vice chairman and also became chairman, which I've had for the last couple of years. And I sit on the U.S. Chamber Board. And from that, it prolonged, it got me an opportunity because of my engagement to get a seat on the U.S. Chamber Board. And eventually now I'm a member of the Nominating Governance Committee and a member of the, of the, of the Executive Committee. In fact, just yesterday, we announced a new CEO, first female CEO of the Chamber, which I had the, thankfully, the ability to, to vote on and, and, and help secure. So I, I only reason I bring that part up is because I think, again, when you think about how these things come along, it's... You don't just, of course, go in and be made chairman of the Global Innovation Policy Center or become an executive. You have to be engaged and you have to be involved. And so the message there is whether it's the chamber, whether it's the PTA, or whether it's whatever you're working on, get involved, find something you're passionate for, and go for it. So to answer your question, though, related to um, the engagements here, we have seen a significant shift. If you asked me a year ago, would internal communications be as, as important as it is today? I would have said, no, no, it's on parallel and par with all the things we have to do. It has become the cornerstone for us during this pandemic because people are in many regards are working from home. Um, secondarily, the company and how you're engaging during the pandemic, which impacts your employees, they want to know about it. And they want to know more than in previous past. They would have been like, okay, a couple of notes here and there would be fine. 
But our ability now to engage our employee base has become significantly more important because these, again, these are our ambassadors who like, like you and I are spending most of their time, you know, working from their, from their homes. And so communications has become that much more important in how we engage. Take that now and do the external side. Okay, fine. So now here's your employee base. Well, what are you doing now for your NGOs, for your communities? How are you engaging in more in, in different ways? Legislators who are states and federal governments are trying to figure out this pandemic as much as we are. Our ability to engage them, both from a communication and government relations side, has never become more important. So, yeah, so corporate affairs has become some of a significant opportunity, I think. And what I'm what I'm seeing through the U.S. Chamber and through the CEOs that I'm working with is they're looking for more innovative ways to be a lot more engaging and aggressive than they have in the past. And, you know, there are certain times when you have tough times, communications oftentimes gets pushed to the side. Well, oh, we'll, we'll handle this. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now it's becoming even more, the emphasis has become so much more significant that I, I'm just asking my colleagues, I'm asking those who are listening, challenge yourself. The, the, day, the day has changed where it was putting out a press release and putting out some sort of note, social digital media and how we're engaging with our employees again. Challenge yourself to think about different ways of, of engaging those audiences that are most important to you because we all, think about yourself, we're all looking for information. We're all looking for insights that just don't exist. And if you don't engage, people will write their own narrative. And that's not good for anybody. I think that's a, a brilliant place to wrap up here, Ray. Um, just being respectful of your time and um, recognizing that I think that that challenge of challenge yourself probably can extend to just about every aspect of this conversation and people who are struggling with some of the changes in the role and the expectations of the role um, today. So um, thank you for your time. And we appreciate you sharing all of your insights um, here with our listeners. Thank you, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, I appreciate the opportunity just to come and, and, and talk to you all about uh, what, what we're all facing together as, as a nation and, and uh, you know, as humanity and, Let's work through it together and we'll find the solutions if, if we work as, as a team as opposed to on different sides. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Ray Kearns. Number one, internal communication aids external communications more than ever. If you've noticed that internal communications has recently become more central to corporate strategy, you're absolutely right. As more employees have begun working from home, effective internal communications has turned out to be critical for telling employees what the corporation is doing and keeping them engaged and informed. This ladders up to corporate strategy as well, since employee awareness is critical for properly executed external comms. Number two, invest in STEM. Bayer made a pledge to devote corporate resources to educate 5 million high school students in STEM subjects, despite the fact that this may not immediately and directly impact the corporation. This is above and beyond charity. The brilliance of this move is twofold. First, it fills the pipeline with a diverse group of potential future scientists, technologists, engineers, and mathematicians who will benefit society. Second, it shows a real-world alignment with Bayer's motto, which is science for a better life. This is the kind of far-sighted thinking that ensures a company's bright future and enables a brand to really walk the walk with their brand's motto. Number three, Having a strong reputation pays dividends during challenging times. 
If you're known as an organization that does the right thing even when nobody's looking, then when the going gets rough, employees and customers will stand by you. This doesn't just happen overnight, though. It's the type of reputation that has to be earned over time simply by doing the right thing on a regular basis. If your brand simply tries to cover up issues and crises that occur without taking accountability and responsibility along the way, you aren't building your reputation in a sustainable way. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.